millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. This episode of the Culp Option Podcast was brought to you by our Patreon. If you want to tell us which films we should watch, listen to up to two extra exclusive podcasts a month, or give us something to discuss in our new post credit scenes at the end of each episode, then please consider joining the cult and donating at www.patreon.com slash vocal exercises we do vocal exercises before every podcast don't we richard hi everyone i'm vocal exercises and this is aj <laughs> uh th- thank you vocal exercises god there was there was a shit response to your joke uh, <laughs> but i'm here <laughs> I'm not, I'm keeping it in. I'm keeping it in. And yes, my name is AJ and this over here is Richard. And you are listening to Film Franchise Fortnights on the Cold Popcha podcast, where every fortnight we review a different film franchise. And for the last uh, three weeks, or three fortnights, we've been reviewing the James Bond series. Now, AJ, why are we doing that when... Who gets to be the one to talk about it first? Um, AJ, why are we uh, doing James Bond if No No Time to Die doesn't come out till November? Well, I'm glad you asked, Richard, because it was originally going to come out in three weeks from from now. uh, And... This is a devastating setback. This has ruined yeah. the podcast. I mean, to be fair, if it came out in three weeks, that would fuck it up as well. Uh, three fortnights, I should say. Wait. No. Oh, no. Three weeks. Whatever. It is three weeks. What are you talking about? What are you um, talking about? Yeah. Asshole. Hey, shut up, man. <laughs> hey, fuck you. Fuck you. And like, yeah, so so if you didn't hear, because of coronavirus, more like my bonavirus, um, the, the, no time to die has been pushed back. The last, the most, the the latest James Bond movie, and it was this Richard. The stars had aligned. You know, we were doing arguably our one hundredth franchise. <laughs> we worked it out so that we could do ja- all James Bond across uh, five episodes, and it would time it perfectly so that the Daniel Craig episode would come out just after no time to die and i don't know what to do now <laughs> like we do, we just keep going you just you've just got to keep going we you just know? yeah i mean we'll finish the okay <laughs> what i think what our plan is we've briefly discussed this is next fortnight uh will be an episode about pierce brosnan's time as uh everybody's mm-hmm. favorite spy and uh then we'll be in the following fortnight we'll cover um casino royale quantum of solace skyfall and spectre and then come november we will do a film franchise follow-ups episode uh that will be put on the main channel uh is that correct instead of just the patreon yeah and so yeah yeah because it's the finishing off of this episode and look it's not like this there isn't precedent for this because 
Um, halfway through us doing the MCU, Kevin Feige clarified <laughs> that Spider-Man Far From Home was set in Phase 3, but at least we got to end on Endgame mm. with that. It has you know? end in the title. Like it, it has end in the title. Um, and this is just like... People people have been suggesting like, oh, what if you just do Bond a Bond themed year of of the podcast? So it's it's irrelevant all year round. Yeah, when and we've I already think- watched like seventeen of the films and we're like needed yeah, yeah. to very quickly decelerate. <laughs> yeah. No, and look, I think that if this news had come out a fortnight earlier, like if this came out after Sean Connery, the Sean Connery episode that they'd pushed No Time to Die back, I think it could could have been cool to push back the Roger Moore episode and do like every two months we do a James Bond mm. film franchise fortnights. Yeah. But because we did two and then it came out, it's like, well, what's the fucking Yeah, and point the fact that, that th- those two constitute like more than half of the franchise. That's true. So, look, it's I'm frustrated. You're frustrated. Sony Pictures is frustrated. Um, the world and is frustrated. The worst part is with coronavirus. The worst so. part is 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 that coronavirus at the time of recording is actually relatively capped in New Zealand currently, mm. meaning that there's no reason why we won't get. We shouldn't get no time to die. And to clarify, we're not getting it because it's it's being delayed because they don't think people are coming to the theater. The movie is not pro coronavirus or anything <laughs> like that. So despite all that, we're trekking on, and it's just I don't know. I'm just disappointed. You know, it was nice to have this this neat little package of an episode yeah. to tie into the new movie. But what are we going to do? Oh, well, we've not just outlined our plan. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Well, let's let's just continue on through this episode then. So this week we we are despite our devastating setback, um we are looking at the two films in the Timothy Dalton era of Bond. Um so this is the second shortest run behind George Lazenby who only did uh one more like George Lazy. More like you only live once as George Lazenby. <laughs> Uh, Roger Moore, who played James Bond for the previous seven movies before the first Timothy Dalton one, was reportedly free to leave from the role and not asked to leave, according to producer Albert Broccoli. Uh, I feel like people forget that there's a man named Broccoli behind the Bond series, well, and I've just got to constantly be Broccoli. like... Now it's a, yeah, that's true. Um, it's his daughter. He didn't transition. <laughs> um, Imagine if that should they should. That sounds like a Bond title. What a man named Broccoli. A man named Broccoli. Yeah, yeah. Well, it would be a good documentary about Bond. It would be. Um. So apparently so yeah so so Roger Moore was free to leave. He he wanted to leave. He wasn't fired apparently. Uh and. In the race to cast a new James Bond, which Timothy Dalton was already in, had which he, been in he the, won like, the race. Well, yeah, but he was he was in the conversation for years before Roger Moore even finished his run. Much in the way people talk of Idris Elba yeah. these days, I, I believe Daniel Craig. that uh, he was actually in the running before Roger Moore started his run. That's there is there is some anecdotal. <laughs> reports of that uh yeah so the the other two actors who were in contention were pierce brosnan who t- who did take up the role as we mm. talked about before after dalton uh and sam neill 
Uh, mm-hmm. New Zealand actor Sam Neill, who was the favourite of all the producers except Albert Broccoli. So they didn't go into it. Um, but we will go into it later on in the show. Just wanted to oh, mention that up top as, as a bit of a, a bit of a taster. Um, so while Timothy Dalton's films tended to be tend to be like the least discussed in the series, uh, nowadays when people talk about him and Bond, they tend to comment on how he almost seems like a test run for the reluctant darker more tragically mm. uh you know kind of daniel craig version and who is apparently more book accurate apparently the the ian fleming's yeah. novel james bond was a dark foreboding character much in the way daniel craig and to some degree timothy dalton uh was so the living daylights which is the first film in his uh, in his two film run was actually originally intended to be a prequel as well to um to the other mo- movies which is something we wouldn't really see until casino royale and even then <laughs> it's like is this a prequel or is this a reboot because the living daylights was actually originally going to end with him getting his doctor no mission oh, uh, that's so cool. like like a full-on actual prequel to the to the to the main continent and then you make a second one and they're like oh fuck <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah i bet that's why they they abandoned that idea yeah but, like, like so, how the hell do we yeah, do that? his first film takes place be- just before dr no and his um like second one takes place just after view to a kill yeah <laughs> yeah uh so the first film as i mentioned was the living daylights this came out in 1987 was directed by john glenn who did a view to a kill and i think a couple of the others um what do you think this has on rotten tomatoes 69 it's got 72 so pretty close um i think there is a there is a comfortable plateau with which the timothy dalton movies sit in terms of quality for me i don't find them as unwatchable as some of the other some of the sean connery ones but i don't get as excited about them and so i think 72 is probably an accurate score Yeah, yeah. So what is uh, The Living Daylights about? So The Living Daylights is about a um, a defecting KGB agent um, officer who um, mm-hmm. Bond helps, uh, and he's supposed to like take down this KGB sniper who's a cellist, Kara, um, mm-hmm. and yep. uh, he finds her too sexy, and so he doesn't kill her. Um, and then they end up like teaming up and then it all ends up in Afghanistan and there's the, the Mujahideen. Um, and yeah, Mm. (laughs) what else happens? Yeah. So, so, well, essentially he helps this KGB officer defect to Britain, but then the KGB officer gets captured again. It turns out he's a double agent that was trying to infiltrate, like play both sides against each other basically. And so Bond and Kara, who's the KGB's girlfriend, um not the entire organization just that one officer uh they have to track him down while also like trying to make him think he's not onto them mm. so it's it's a bit of conning back and forth um it's it i mean it's follow it's you know it's good it's followable mm. it's not it's not as confusing as it sounds uh but so this was the last film to use an original ian fleming story title until casino royale in 2006 which is pretty interesting yeah. uh and is it is partially based on the short story from fleming's octopussy and the living daylights anthology so uh, Timothy Dalton was. Do you say Dalton or Dalton? Dalton. 
Dalton. Timothy Dalton was selected to play Bond almost because he was the last choice left, because he had publicly stated his disinterest in the role, and it got pretty close to it being Pierce Brosnan, with NBC ready to and willing to uncancel Brosnan's TV show Remington Steel, should he win the role, because they were like... If he becomes James Bond, everyone will want to watch Remington Steel. But <laughs> that that ended up being the reason they didn't go with him because Broccoli didn't want Bond to be played by like a contemporary TV actor, yeah. um, and so they they essentially begged Dalton to do it, and he and he joined it. Um, so yeah, what did you think of the Living Daylights? Uh, it's cool. I mean, it's always fun and exciting when a new actor takes on the role and trying to sort of figure out their nuances and the, the, the things they bring to the role. Um, mm-hmm. there's, there's things about uh, his specific portrayal, which I, I'm sure we'll get to uh, when, we, mm-hmm. when we discuss that specifically. Uh, but mm-hmm. other than that, yeah, it's cool. The, I like seeing like the, the Afghanistan stuff. Um, yeah. Yeah, like like it was cool. It's, it's a new location, you know. It's it's again like we've spoken mm. about this plenty of times, but like there you've got like the Russia one and the underwater one, and it's cool to have like uh, I like when the specific location geographically is that exciting thing that that, that thing I, that you can pin mm. it down as. I mean, it's it's not the 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 most important thing about it. Um, no, like I would say the relationship with Kara is like the takeaway from this for me anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, but the the Afghanistan stuff is what I when I think back to this film, other than him deliberately missing the shot to kill Kara, uh, that's the one that helps me, you know, in my mind to be like, okay, where does the film go? That's right, it's got that, you know, that's something you could really cling to. Whereas other ones are like, oh, it's right. it's got um, th- there's this scene and, and this one you know yeah yeah because i was because it's interesting you bring it up that it's like it's the afghanistan one because i actually feel that tonally the living daylights aligns more with the films of the series that you and i have previously derided as lacking any flavor or frills or any of those special <laughs> things like from russia with love or for your eyes only uh, but i think the living daylights kind of represents the transition where mm. bond films go from being like the, the they go from being the mission like the mission is more interesting than this time he's underwater or this time there's voodoo yeah like i would i would hate if no time to die ended up being this time bond goes subterranean you know or yeah. or he or does like a prince and the pauper story and <laughs> with, with a with a a evil daniel craig well it's, like, it's got the female I, daniel craig in it they're doing the female 007 that's true because at some point the bond movies became that the less frilly and themed they were the better they were and i think this is this this the living daylights is that is that first transition to that where i'm i just enjoy it as a bond film and not as a different kind of bond film sure yeah um and i also thought that this this that the living daylights marks the crossover in my enjoyment of more complex bond films like i go from something like um octopussy which is i'm not 100 percent following this and i'm not enjoying it to something like the living daylights which is i'm not 100 percent following this but i am enjoying it <laughs> <laughs> which is how i receive all the daniel craig movies as well yeah. I could, if you ask me what's casino royale about that's one of my favorite movies probably couldn't tell you what it's about <laughs> not in any succinct way not yeah. in like not in like a, a grit like getting down and in, into the actual meat of the plot i don't really know what it's about 
about, but I enjoy it a lot. Uh, and this this sort of felt like this because I and as I said, it is followable. But there are times when I don't know he's chasing someone, and I was just like, I don't know who this is, but it's a cool chase thing, you know. Mm. Mm. It almost feels a bit Indiana Jones, yeah, in its, in its style. And I wonder if that is sort of like how Moonraker. Uh, was, was a Star was a Wars, moon, yeah. was a Star Wars copy, yeah, 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 uh, yeah. So, do you what do you, do you have anything specific you wanted to bring up about the Living Daylights? Uh, nothing specific. Oh, I, I, I like I like that it doesn't. Uh, it shakes the formula a little bit. There's a very clear like. Mm. Uh, like this, this is the one of the most defined relationships between Bond and Bond girl that we've ever seen. Do you want to go into that a bit more? Because you've mentioned that a couple of times. Uh, no, no. Okay, cool. See everybody. All right, Bye. license to go. <laughs> um, no, I mean it's just like um, uh, they spend a lot more time together than I think a lot of the other ones, and um, where their relationship starts and where it ends, and that. Because uh, what, what was the formula you mentioned that he like has to bed three women, one's mm. an ally, one's a, another spy, and one's a, a villain or something? Yeah, yeah, and, and the villain and the ally. The villain, two of them have to be allies and one of them's a villain, I think. And both a villain and an ally die and one of the, the remaining ally lives. I don't know, it was fucking awful. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it was it was gross. This was the Bond girl formula that the broccoli the broccoli and um mm. Saltzman duo had instilled back in the early days. Yeah, and cuz um, Kara survives the entire film, right? Yeah, yeah. And, and d- does he beat anyone else in the film? I can't remember. I don't think I don't think so, so no. No. Cuz he spends most of his time with her. Yeah, yeah. And it's not um it's not the first like slightly more complex relationship we've seen him have in the series, but I think it is the one I found myself liking the most. I, I like I looked at something like The Spy Who Loved Me with um Agent XXX mm. and how she's like his equal in a way. Yeah. And it's like this is cool that they're equal, but at the same time, it's also a cool dynamic to see Bond um like taking someone through an adventure who's relatively uh uh unexperienced you mm. know inexperienced with all of this and but is still like well because it's an audience a, surrogate as well it's a classic story yeah yeah technique. exactly yeah 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 and it's yeah you're right and it is it is so different from like a view to a kill like mm. coming right off a view to a kill this could not be a well it could i guess it could be a more different one but like it, it could it could not like, be a james bond film imagine that <laughs> that would be more different i don't know it just seems it seems like this is the first time in the series that they they really took it seriously in mm, a weird sure, way yeah, yeah. like they wanted it to be dark mm. yeah yeah and i think um one thing that i'd like to to sort of point out about timothy dalton as well that uh, again feels almost like a precursor to the daniel craig darkness that we're all that we all expected to see or that that we're all used to seeing by now uh and that's that um they it's like they intentionally (laughs) this happens in both films so this can be a transition through to license to kill uh but it feels like they set up a a scenario where sean connery or roger moore would have made a pun and then timothy dalton just says something real literal He, he doesn't say there there is one pun in the whole series and it's the end of the living daylights where he kicks the bad guy 
off a plane who's holding onto his boot and he like he like unties his shoelaces and the bad guy falls to his death and and when Kara asks what happened to him and he goes he got the boot and I was like interesting because they never do this again in the rest of the series something yeah. something ripe for punning will happen and he'll just be like yeah that's I guess that's how it goes <laughs> actually I lie and and um the one time he does the, the one time in license to kill that he does make a pun it doesn't land at all which is when he, they find a guy impaled on a forklift and he says i guess he reached a dead end mm. and it's like yeah dead <laughs> end is specific enough to dying by being impaled on a forklift you know maybe that's why maybe he's a insecure insecure about his puns is the, <laughs> is the main trait of timothy dalton <laughs> you know they're like oh sean connery's like the the suave and cheeky dude and 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 roger moore is the 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 classic comical witty gentleman spy and look timothy dalton's just a bit insecure like he's he's not as confident he can't make his good puns yeah yeah <laughs> cool well let's move on very quickly to the second film and the last film that uh, timothy dalton starred in and that is license to kill which came out in 1989 this is going to be a pretty short episode i think we do have other stuff to talk about it's not just going to be these two movies i've i've made this because there is less movies to talk about i've also made this partially like the general you know when you take the lid off the james bond series as a culture what do you find so yeah we'll talk about license to kill and then we'll talk about a lot more broad bond stuff so license to kill 1989 also directed by john glenn which surprised me because this one this one reeks of like a new director came on board and picked up the project and tried to do something different with it uh but no it's just john glenn the guy who's done a bunch of these already uh and the what do you think this has on ron tomatoes uh 69 76 wow so a bit higher than the the living daylights what is this movie about uh so this is like the big one uh the big thing about this one obviously is that his um license to kill gets revoked um which is essentially like one part of him kind of being disavowed or or, you know thrown out of the of Mm. mi6 um which happens this is the first time it's happened in the series, right? I think it's the first time he goes rogue. Yeah, yeah. but it Something happens... that is now criticised yeah. because he does it so much. Yeah, exactly. Because, like, every Craig movie almost does it, right? Like, I don't think he goes... I think in Quantum of Solace he just is rogue. Yeah. Um, But, yeah. I, I know I he, he in, in right. Skyfall I definitely remember the, like, revoking... Or is that Inspector? Yeah. Anyway. Um, I think he goes rogue in all of them. Yeah. Well, it's Daniel like a Craig Mission movie. Impossible, how, you know, the second yeah. film is the only one where he just does a mission. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, um, yeah. Yeah. Well, so this is... Yeah. Yep. Well, yeah, and this uh, is a whole, like, buddy adventure with Felix. Well, not not really, but it's like, he's a huge part of it, even though he's kind of been, like, not a background character, but, like... I don't know if we've actually mentioned Felix. Yeah, that, that, that's the thing, right? The- like... Uh, he's like um, the american james bond who shows up occasionally yeah um he's played by jeffrey wright in casino royale and no time to die so you might recognize him from that yeah but he's um yeah he's he's in quite a few of the films yeah (laughs) played by different actors yeah yeah but um Um, this is the first time that he's really uh thrust into the spotlight 
So why does James Bond get his license to kill revoked, though, Richard? Um, he, Felix, gets hurt in the line of duty, mortally wounded, and his wife yep. gets killed, right? Yeah, and he gets his leg bitten off by a shark. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. From from drug lord Franz Sanchez. Um, <laughs> like pick yeah, a nationality. So, um, yeah. um and so bond is like i'm gonna fucking go after him and m says no and then he goes well i'm gonna do it anyway and m goes well you're not you can't kill anyone yeah it's it's bond takes it's it's a it's this time it's personal you know like he's taking revenge um because felix's wife was murdered and felix lost a leg uh, so this was the first film in the series to not use the title of an Ian Fleming story, um, mm. though it is partially based on Live and Let Die, the novel, and the short story, The Hildebrand Rarity, uh, which is from, which I also mentioned in that video that I keep talking about that maybe people <laughs> know exists or not, uh, where I, I talked about all the, the, the different James Bond story titles yet to be adapted to film. Um, and this, so this was the fifth and final consecutive Bond film to be directed by John Glenn. So he actually did shit. Okay. I forgot <laughs> you you um, had it in your own notes. Yeah. yeah. Uh, as well as the last of features feature actors, Robert Brown as M and Caroline Bliss as Miss Moneypenny. And the final Bond film to utilize the services of, of screenwriter, Richard Maribom, title designer, Maurice Binder and producer, Albert R. Broccoli. Is there this a man is- whose last name is Broccoli? <laughs> 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 this is this, his last film i didn't realize that so mary bomb the writer and the title designer uh binder um they died in 1991 and broccoli died in 1996 but he had like throat surgery or something yeah during like after this film and because of a whole bunch of other shit um which uh delayed the release of goldeneye which we will talk about in the pierce brosnan episode yeah. i was going to put it here but it seemed more tied to Goldeneye. Mm, we've got too. too much content uh, with these two films. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's a good point. I probably should have put it in this one. Um, but this is the end of an era, dude. Like yeah. Barbara Broccoli, who's Albert Broccoli's daughter, was already like acting as a producer on here. Right. But it is. It, I think this marks a moment in our journey through James Bond, where this is where like the people who started it are dying. Like they're dying of old age. Mm. You know, that's how long it's been going. Yeah. It is also worth that you mentioned about the delay. Is that like coming up to this um where we're after license to kill is the um longest gap between Bond films um to date. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, six years. Yeah. Um, just beating out the gap between Spectre and No Time to Die, which is five years. There you go. Um so License to Kill was originally titled License Revoked, uh, in line with the plot. The name was changed in post-production due to American test screenings associating the term with driving. Yeah, fair enough. Uh, License to Kill is just a bit more, like, provocative. License Revoked is... It just reminds me of uh, Lethal Weapon. (laughs) It's just been revoked. Yeah, me too. Um, Yeah, I don't know. Revoked isn't, like, necessarily a badass word, but kill is. Yeah, yeah. Uh, And... If you know, there, as as we said before, there was a big delay between this and Goldeneye, and there was thought that maybe this would be the last one. And you know what? It's not a terrible one to go out on. It has a lot of finalistic elements in it. Yeah. You know, it does feel like the final. You know, it's it's because it's the first one where he goes rogue, and uh, you know, like it's 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 got the 
I, I was about to say the death of a of a main supporting character, but he doesn't actually die. But I don't know. A lot of this just feels like if you were going to end James Bond once and for all, this isn't a bad way to do it. It's the um, it's the civil war of the franchise. It's the one that you're like, ah, you could end on it, but you know, there's a there's presumably a bigger ending uh coming down the mm. track, and it um features a uh main character who you're supposed to care about but you don't really uh getting injured in some way but not dying mm. what are you talking about i need to <laughs> so felix Leiter and uh brody in um civil war ah, you expect right, like yes, oh man right. they're gonna do a big death of of this kind of side character the the most important character you could feasibly kill off without changing anything uh but yeah. instead they just <laughs> maim him yeah uh, so, License to Kill is also partially, apparently, based on Kurosawa's Yojimbo, which oh, yeah. is the second film we've covered on film franchise Fortnite's to be a, an unofficial remake of Yojimbo after <laughs> A Fistful of Dollars from yeah, the, yeah. The, the Man With No Name trilogy. I did not notice similarities between this and A Fistful of Dollars. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, because I could not read that movie at all. Yeah, that was, um, yeah, that was a tough one. What did you think of this film? License to Kill, one of one of the most divisive films in the series. How do you feel about it? Uh, I liked the second half a lot more than the first half. Interesting, and I can say because that I because... hate the second half, but I love the first half. <laughs> wow! Because mm. no, I, I actually watched this in two halves because I, I was watching it <laughs> late, late at night and had to go to bed, and so I didn't see the second half until a day later. And the first half, I was like, oh, it starts with with Bond going to Felix's wedding, and they get, um, they get distracted and go on a mission. And I was just like, this is stupid <laughs> like the less i see about bond's days off like the better i don't want to know what bond does at his yeah, personal yeah, yeah. time this is like imagine it like it starts he's just watching tv and drinking a beer it's like oh, yeah. this is kind of weird to see him out of out of the office well it'd be weird to um, see him so drinking to a beer before skyfall as well because that's the first time it happened oh very cool fun fact um and i think it's it's so different from the previous films to the point as well where it barely feels like a Bond movie at all. It feels like a, it feels like a late eighties action movie. You know, it feels like like yeah, yeah, Lethal yeah. Weapon a lot, lot, lot more than than James Bond. But then again, what is a James Bond movie? Like they've to- totally have changed so much over mm. the years that maybe that's that's a meaningless statement. And uh, I think it's funny how Dalton, Dalton's two films seem to be such extreme versions of what is now like the main type of film going or the two main types going forward there's either the by the book spy film which is what the living daylights is or the kick it to the curb subversion you know you had these expectations well not anymore like all of (laughs) all of um all of Pierce Brosnan ones are the for, the the by the books one, and like all of Daniel Craig's are, except for Spectre, are trying to be memorable and significant. Yeah, you know, um, so it's pretty funny that it, that it, that it, it it kind of represents the future in a lot of ways for yeah. the series. Um, but yeah, I liked the second half a lot more when I came back to start to finish watching it last night, um, which was actually for the first time in film franchise Fortnite's behind the scenes history is, is it was the first time I had written up most of the research before finishing a film Wow! because I didn't have time to do it the other way. I, I got to finish it after I do all the research, but I did of course go back and add any, any, you know, extra thoughts that I had after seeing yeah, the second nice, half, nice. which I just thought was more interesting and compelling and action packed and more typical of a Bond film, mm. um, which perplexingly is also 
one of my least favorite things about it is when it strays into the <laughs> the formula. So I don't know what I'm talking about. What do you think of it? Yeah, it's cool. I I get what you mean about how it is like a uh, it kind of devolves into just like your typical '80s action fear, um, which I think like a view to a kill did better and just All right, yeah, yeah. like like a view to a kill to me is is the 80s james bond film um mm. and so license to kill yeah it, it's funny and i guess we'll get into this more when we talk about like our general thoughts of timothy dalton but like just the kind of how well uh he represents the decade and yeah. and and it, and it doesn't kind of fit into what you think of when you think of the 80s whereas um like the octopusy and view to a kill feel a lot more 80s to me yeah well this this feels like you're dark like this is you know what license to kill is a fucking 1989 film you know it's it's on the cusp of 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 change yeah yeah it's it's because batman was another 1989 yeah and they feel very very similar right um and no, that's a weird thing to say with, without kind of backing it up. They're very different in terms of story. I don't know how to describe this. Just tonally. Not, no, not even tonally. I don't know. They just look similar. They just feel <laughs> similar. Yeah, well, I don't like, know what I'm this, trying to most say. Most of this one's set in Gotham as well. <laughs> it is actually the only Bond film to not take any place in Britain at, at any point. Oh, interesting. Um, but the, most of it's the, in Gotham. I, th- I, think, I think because... I think because the 90s the 90s are very distinct if for this yeah. kind of movie the 90s were these dark um crime action dramas like mel gibson payback and stuff and and things like that um whereas because brosnan was so late into the 90s it it almost feels like that that chunk of film uh history is missing from james bond and yeah. this is the closest we have to that <laughs> yeah yeah yeah, yeah. Because it was 1989, yeah. Uh, so the the script for this film was finished so late in the day that actress Carrie Lowell, who plays uh, Pam Bouvier, the Bond girl on the film, she was asked to audition with lines from A View to a Kill, because they hadn't finished the actual License to Kill movie. Wow. Uh, and if that doesn't speak to the lazy, interchangeable nature of how these movies wrote women, I don't know what does. <laughs> <laughs> like just, uh, just read the lines from another another completely different character and we'll be able to tell if you're right for the part or not. <laughs> um, so, yeah, that's that's pretty... And it, it, it does... It does... This does feel like not the final draft. I think that's the best way to describe License to Kill and why it feels so different, is it doesn't feel like it's finished, the script. Um yeah just the, the name uh, carrie lowell it, well, i saw it in the credits and it stuck out to me and i couldn't figure out why but there's a um uh Sophie and stevens has an album called carrie and lowell oh weird i think oh, that's it, her full name so yeah it, oh it's the name it's um his parents name oh is, it, is carrie lowell his mom yeah carrie carrie uh, carrie's his mom <laughs> and lowell's his dad what yeah what are you talking about <laughs> So Sufjan Stevens, the artist who did who famously yes. did the music for um uh, Yep. Uh, call me by your name. Uh his mum's name is Carrie and her second husband's name is Lowell. And so he's got an album called Carrie and Lowell. Which is so this is just a coincidence. Yeah, but, but her, to be fair, her name is spelled C A double R I E and she and Carrie Lowell of A View to a Kill. No, license to kill fame is uh 
Kerry, C A R E Y. What kind of a name is Lowell? Oh well, anyway. (laughs) (laughs) What a strange detour to take us on, but I welcome it in this uh, rather brief. So uh, this is the first, this is probably the most interesting thing about uh, License to Kill, is this is the first and only Bond to have a, have received a restricted rating. Um, interesting. I think this was R15, maybe. I'm not sure what the rating system is like uh, in other countries. Uh, but it's not hard to see why. This is considerably more gory than previous or future entries you see um as i said you see a guy get his leg bitten off by a shark you see uh a a benicio a very young benicio del toro Mm. gets lowered into like a grinder which is very grim and very dark Mm. Uh, and probably the the funniest thing which i wish was the picture i took for the instagram (laughs) but i uploaded the picture to the instagram before i got to this point in the movie they put a guy in like a giant uh microwave it's like a pressure chamber a pressure chamber and his head grows to the size of the window and then it explodes and it's very silly (laughs) (laughs) yeah yeah, it's funny because it is like it's such a horrific image, but it just looks funny. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. All right, Richard, I'm gonna briefly take a, a take a turn into problematic corner, which is a, a, a diminishing returns, which is a good thing. Uh, <laughs> over over the from the Sean Connery Roger Moore Timothy Dalton episode, there's not you know there was more stuff to talk about in the Sean Connery episode. Yeah, uh, and because and Dalton's Dalton's Bond is even less problematic than Roger Moore, though the darker tone of the two movies do mean he's a bit more rough with his female adversaries. Mm. Like in The Living Daylights, he like strips the shirt off a woman so that her naked body will distract a, a, a enemy, um, yeah. which is a bit uncomfortable. And and mm. at one point he um, he thinks Pam Carrie Lowell is uh, betraying him, and so he like pushes her onto a bed and holds her down to to like be like, "What are you hiding?" kind of thing. Yeah, and thrusts a hand between her legs. Oh, uh, yeah, that's yeah. Because he's, gra- he's grabbing. Still- she's got a uh, like a small gun and like a garter belt. Um, right but yeah. it looks like oh Sorry, jesus that's christ essential information yeah. <laughs> yeah yeah that's essential information to understanding what happens there i would say that really the only problem here and it's here through to the brosnan era and this is not i don't know if this is problematic um if it is let me know the love steer- stories just feel so insincere from just uh, license to kill onwards like they get in the way like pam bouvier when when she first meets uh, bond and license to kill she's like barely his friend and then they grab a, a boat together and they're f- boating away into the distance and they just bang because of course you know they're on a boat and it's it's just it it's <laughs> it's it's feels just less real it, it feel it doesn't feel authentic to the characters which is something you can say about you, you could probably say it about plenty of, of the previous Bond movies as well. Mm. But like that that carries on through the Brosnan era. Now that I'm thinking about it, that was one of my main criticisms of Spectre was that um, the Daniel Craig movie was that the love story was super inorganic and didn't feel authentic. Yeah. Um, but hey, and it just makes, you've like, got another movie to, to, to see how it goes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I guess just Pam Bouvier feels like a quite a strong female character but when they do things like this, it just makes her feel 
cheap and cardboard and like there's like a love triangle between the bad guy's girlfriend and bond and and pam bouvier and it's just uh, it just didn't seem real i guess but that's that's fucking not problematic to be honest the most problematic thing in the uh timothy dalton films is that there's a group of asian businessmen in license to kill who are constantly referred to as the orientals (laughs) 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 they're like but the orientals (laughs) all the time um yeah so contemporary reviews for license to kill were quite harsh on the film um while but the retrospectives range from it's still pretty bad to this is the best one (laughs) so pretty extreme but um similar to how you feel about pacific rim i find it strange that this film is fine to me like it's like whatever even though it's at the same time it's so disruptive um and attempts to be different which usually i welcome in a franchise this one just isn't different enough i guess Mm. (laughs) do you have any more thoughts on license to kill uh no but i'm keen to talk about uh, this era of bond as a whole cool okay well let's do that richard the what what did you think of timothy dalton as james bond okay timothy dalton is a weird one for me watching as bond because he's the only actor that i don't immediately associate with being james bond um sure sean connery played other roles um roger moore daniel craig pierce Brosnan. they they all played other roles but timothy dalton is the only one that i know more from like hot fuzz and toy story three and four you know and (laughs) um but and then i think just talking to people of various ages i don't think that's necessarily specific to me and um in the way that daniel craig feels like my bond and like my parents i'm sure sean connery feels like their bond um my boss at work i was talking to him about the movies and he he was saying roger moore is his bond i I think timothy dalton is nobody's bond um he's nobody's bond that's the title of the pod the pod vid for the week (laughs) um because and, and let me explain why that is it's not only because he did two films because i'm sorry i love you george lazenby i love honor majesty secret service um but obviously like he doesn't even feel like he's in the conversation and and who gets to be somebody's bond not because he did yeah. one film but because sean connery took it back after him so if you came of age in that era sean connery is still your bond um yeah whereas okay yeah, so george lazenby doesn't have a pod vid yeah <laughs> if you came of age in the 60s sean connery is your bond in the 70s roger moore um in the 90s pierce brosnan in the 2000s or 2010s daniel craigs however i didn't mention the 80s because if you came of age in the 80s like i said earlier i think that a view to a kill is like the most 80s bond movie and so if you grew up watching 80s movies and you grew up in the 80s and you consider that your defining era of film uh, i think that octopussy and view to a kill would be like your bond movies that you grew up with and so you would still consider roger moore to be your one and so the living daylights and license to kill um they they exemplify that early 90s that wasn't really fully realized until maybe pulp fiction um that kind of era of film Mm. um that's like has a little bit of fun from the 80s and is trying to be a bit more serious um but before going like full john woo 90s kind of um 
late Brosnan or something like the second, the first or second Mission Impossible film. Um, and so they, they kind of just float in the middle there and don't really feel like they belong to a specific generation. When Bond, for some reason, seems to feel like this thing that everyone has to talk about which one is theirs. I've never heard Timothy Dalton come up in that conversation. <laughs> yeah. He's he's just invisible. Mm. You know, he's he doesn't he's he didn't add enough to the table, or at least what he did add to the table was this darkness, which is just done better by Daniel Craig exactly. and more interestingly. So it's like it's like he had, the one thing he had that defined him is now more associated with a different actor who played him and the same can't be said for any other bond not even george lazenby who still had his own distinct yeah if george lazenby had a podvid what, what if if all the bonds were lined up like spice girls and there's like sporty bond and nobody's mm. bond and best bond what do you think george lazenby's would be underrated underrated bond yeah i do want to just point out as well that i know people are going to uh be commenting on this and saying that they think timothy dalton's the best one or um or whatever but i think that even if you i'm yet to meet someone or to hear of someone and i'm sure i'm gonna get fucking we'll get heaps of comments of saying this but like uh even if you retroactively think he's the best or whatever he's not i don't think he's anyone's first image is conjured when they say the word bond you know um and that's potentially just yeah. because timothy dalton has had a great career post um james bond and so i associate him more with those roles yeah yeah exactly yeah yeah no i like that that's good that's a good that's a good uh <laughs> it's a good thing to say i was trying to think <laughs> of a more eloquent way to put that but i think that's an important uh, yeah, an important way to look at it um and, and the conversation around Bond, which we continue to have each week. Uh, so, Richard, the thing about Timothy Dalton's Bond, though, is that in License to Kill, um, there is actually a reference to his failed marriage. And by failed, I mean she was killed, <laughs> which is still a failed marriage. <laughs> um, so the- Sorry, widows. <laughs> you failed <laughs> god imagine being a new widow and hearing that on your favorite podcast oh my god i'm sorry <laughs> the obsession with which bond pursues sanchez on the behalf of Lida uh, and his dead wife is being is seen as being uh, because of his own brutally cut short marriage. This time it's personal. Yeah, this time it's personal. So he's he's fighting for Felix Leiter because he also has a dead wife, so he knows how it feels. Um, so this is the third time in the series in which George Lazenby's Bond's marriage <laughs> to to Teresa Bond uh, or Tracy failed Bond, marriage is, is referenced. Um, uh, the other two being there's a brief line in the Spy Who Loved Me where uh, Roger Moore acknowledges that he was married once, and then there's that horrible opening sequence in For Your Eyes Only where Bond visits Tracy's grave. Um, and these three moments of referencing a previous actor's 
iteration of the character complicates a very popular fan theory regarding 007 Mm. and the actors who've played him um and this is what i thought was universally known as the many bonds theory it's not i guess i called it that somewhere and (laughs) just thought that that was what it was never heard it's not really called anything uh i I bond as a code name right yeah bond is a code name i i googled the many bonds theory and it was like what do you do you, it was like a bunch of insurance ads came up is this about covalent bonds like <laughs> so the basic gist of the the bond as a code name theory is that bond is but a code name uh given to the multiple men who have seen portray the character it's a very easy fan theory to come up with i think i don't think it's much of a stretch you know um and it kind of comes to you of you know it comes to everyone it kind of ends up thinking about this at some point when watching the films um and so and if this, you're listening to this and you didn't realize that yourself you're you're fucking stupid is what we're saying you're you, and you probably had a failed marriage <laughs> <laughs> this fan theory is used to allow for the series to have one unbroken canon timeline as in real life which is important to people i guess who care about continuity um the different bonds have existed in different time periods you know they all remain roughly the same age and the different films also date themselves by mentioning contemporary events it would also obviously explain why each bond looks different and why they all have pretty distinct personalities so while it's possible that both lazenby moore and dalton are playing different men sharing a code name who were all once married and in lazenby and moore's cases to a woman named tracy uh it certainly feels a lot more like we're intended to think of these actors as the same person with potential soft continuity reboots between actors yeah uh yeah 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 i I mean it it is a fun theory and uh we'll i'm sure we'll talk about it uh when we get to it but that like skyfall is considered the definitive debunking of this theory um well, we can talk about that now. Yeah. <laughs> I've written all this down as well. Uh, but because <laughs> you see the graves of his parents, uh, who both have the last name Bond, mm. uh, essentially confirming that yep. the character we're seeing's actual name is James Bond. Yeah. Which they they could still be different people. There's plenty of... there's. There's multiple Alexander Joneses. <laughs> yeah, there are. There's only one Richard Martin, though. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's the guy directed Earbud too. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um yeah so other other things which uh kind of contribute to the many bonds theory would be why uh blofeld doesn't recognize george lazenby's bond in on her majesty's secret service um and while this is getting a bit ahead of ourselves which you already did just then um it would also explain how judy dench's portrayal of m begins in the pierce brosnan era where she specifically refers to bond as a cold war relic and then she continues to play the character in the daniel craig era which is supposed to be a prequel and in casino royale she references 9 11 um so if they're supposed to be one timeline the existence of judy dench's m means the many bonds theory is the only way this is possible as even if you could argue that her version of the character was replaced by other actors who portrayed m from connery onwards and then she returned during the brosnan era we actually see judy dench's m replaced at the end of skyfall with ralph Fiennes' m uh so no that doesn't work either it worked until skyfall came out uh, and now it doesn't work anymore so I guess the only possible workaround here would be that every Brosnan film takes place between Quantum of Solace and Skyfall. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, like like I said, it is a fun theory and you can look uh, as deep into it as you want um, and you can talk about how all these things debunk it. But 
fuck it. I mean, the series is the continuity of the series has jumped through so many hoops before. I mean, if they reveal in no time to die that mm. it is a code name, I'm sure that they'll fucking work it out. You know, it's not the most yeah. insane thing. The the James Bond wiki because we love fucking wikis here on Cole Pop. Yeah, we love to fuck wikis. Never been to it to. It, to- <laughs> If you've never been to a wiki before, they're terribly written. Uh, And this is verbatim the evidence, the counter evidence against the many bond theories that the, um, that I've coined it, uh, that, (laughs) that the, the, the website offers, uh, number one, Lazenby still has Connery era gadgets, such as the watch. Okay. (laughs) Moore visits the gravesite of Lazenby's bond, Lazenby bonds, wife, Tracy bond. Dalton's bond is known by Felix Leiter to have an abrupt marriage. Uh, and again, this is verbatim. Brosnar's Bond refers, <laughs> refer, refer, references the death of his wife and the world is not enough. I didn't remember that, so apparently that happens. Um, if James Bond is a code name, why does Tracy have the last name Bond on her gravestone? It's a good one. If James Bond is a code name, Bart, why does Tracy have the last name of Bond on her gravestone? Uh, very fun. All right. Uh, Moore was recognized by a friend of his Cambridge days, set way before Dr. No, and Dalton was still called James Bond after he went rogue, and they've never set a replace- they never set a replacement James Bond for him. <laughs> so, good points, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> Richard, while we're speaking of many Bonds, <laughs> let's talk about <laughs> other, other actors who were actually considered for the role of Bond, both before Lazenby and after. Um, I thought this would be, you know, when, when else are we going to have time to discuss such an interesting piece of trivia about the no series? No time to discuss. Uh, so let's just, no time to discuss well, it. Well, we've got until in. fucking November to discuss it if we want. <laughs> 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 so as as mentioned up the top of the episode sam neill lost the role to timothy dalton but you can actually find a screen test for sam neill as the character online um, it's about 30 seconds of him with dark hair being all suave and it's very strange to see have you seen and it the, the the top comment on reddit um was like and that's when the sex happens not from the bond in front of you but from the two other bonds at the side <laughs> <laughs> very good love it um i what do you this is so interesting to me sam neil we could have had a new zealand bond mm. think about that uh, think yeah. about that i mean sam neil's great uh watching the screen test though i'm like oh yeah i can see why you didn't get it <laughs> i feel like i wouldn't i i really like sam neil and i wouldn't want my image of him ruined by watching him be like a chauvinist <laughs> mm, yeah 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 you know like it'd be such a bummer to see new zealand's tom hanks be like real gross and that he's he has similar roles not that he has coronavirus <laughs> God, I hope tom hanks is okay i hope sam neill is okay as well Fuck, imagine if tom hanks dies between recording this yeah. and releasing well it. i'll cu- i'll obviously cut this bit out if tom hanks condition gets worse uh between now and releasing the episode um <laughs> James Brolin, who's the the oh, yeah. father, no, he was considered in 1983. He's the father of Josh Brolin and the husband of Barbara Streisand. But no, Barbara Streisand is not Josh Brolin's mum, which is <laughs> what I immediately looked up after reading that. Um, he screen tested for Octopussy, but then Roger Moore returned to the role. Uh, yeah, he would have been quite like, no. old at the time because he's like almost 80 now. Oh, okay, I don't, I, don't, I didn't actually, I don't actually recognize anything I've seen him in. 
Uh, he's but, Jeff's dad in Community, and that same day, I think, he was also Castle's dad in Castle. The same day? Yeah, like, they, like they, the, the episodes the, came out on the same day. Oh, right, 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 right. Uh, Michael Caine was considered in 1967, but he didn't want to be typecast after starring in the Harry Palmer films, which is, the, we talked about this on the Austin Powers yeah. episode, that there's there's like this whole other uh, James Bond-esque franchise that Michael Caine did um in the 60s called harry palmer yeah um so i don't know i don't think michael kane would have been a very good james bond and harry palmer's like officially what austin powers is parodying right that's right yep um i think that that michael kane is too lower lower class to be james bond like he's cockney you know he's not yeah. oh Mark he's Kahn. not the suaves <laughs> oh, I have a martini shaken, not stirred. Yeah, um, I'm Michael anyway, Caine. Let's not let <laughs> the name's Caine. Let's not Michael let this Caine. descend. <laughs> let's, let's stop it. We can't. That's the lowest hanging fruit of <laughs> of, of celebrity impressions. We're not doing it. Hey, we got through last week's episode without doing a Christopher Walken impression. That's true. That is true. I think. Uh, I'm allowed to do a Michael Caine one. <laughs> can you do this though, oh, uh, Dick? I'm Christopher Walken. <laughs> We're in, we're in dark territory now. What timeline is this? Uh, but what timeline would this have been? Because also in 1967, Richard, Dick Van Dyke was briefly considered. Guess why he wasn't chosen? Oh, wow. Because he's way too fucking old? No. His accent's too bad. Fa- a famously bad English accent. Yeah. This was post-Mary Poppins. I'm, I'm Dick Van Dyke. Dick Van- it sounds exactly like our Michael Caine impression. Um- <laughs> I'm Dick Van Dyke. Uh, hello. But- the name's Van Dyke. Dick Van Dyke. Well, no, the name's Doc. The name's Van Dyke. Dick Van Dyke. Anyway. Uh, Mel Gibson in 1987 <laughs> was briefly considered. Can you imagine Mel Gibson as James Hello, Bond? I'm Mel Gibson. Stop it. You, this cannot be your take for every <laughs> one of these. This is interesting podcast <laughs> fodder and you're just being silly with all of it. <laughs> <laughs> People have been waiting weeks to hear this list. <laughs> you were ruining this for me. Um... <laughs> So MGM wanted him, but Broccoli only wanted to cast a British actor, uh, which is interesting because George Lazenby is Australian, and so is Mel Gibson. Um, yeah. So eat yeah. shit, eat eat shit, Albert Broccoli. Uh, Kit, wh- yeah. I, but that being said, I don't think Mel Gibson would have suited the role at all. The last three have been real, like out of left field. Well, I mean, he's he's problematic in real life <laughs> but so sean connery so maybe he would have been good true yeah 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 mm. in 1994 sean bean was considered uh this was the second choice for uh, for eon if which is the production company if timothy dalton did not return however mgm overruled on both counts and pierce brosnan was given the part the producers were still impressed and gave him the part of the villain in Goldeneye. um and he was supposed oh. to be like a direct parallel of bond he was actually called 006 in oh, that yeah. film. Uh, as oh. we mentioned this on the Roger oh, Moore episode, sure um, Clint Eastwood, Michael Gambon, Burt Reynolds, and Adam West, uh, they were all considered, but three of those four people aren't British, and apparently Michael Gambon wasn't fit enough. Uh, in 1994, Liam Neeson was considered to play Bond, but he, he said that his girl thre- girlfriend threatened to not marry him if he took the role. Well, I mean, that marriage failed anyway, didn't it? Did it? 
Oh. Yeah, his wife died. Oh, oh no, this is too... This is too mean. It's a good joke. Now, see, AJ, like- the thing is that you... That's a, that's a horrible thing to say. But in the context of the podcast... It was a very funny callback. <laughs> uh, yeah, I agree. And now I'm conflicted about it because uh, do we keep it in? Do we cut it out? I guess you, the listener, will find out. Um, Dominic West in 2005, he bowed out of running because he oh, thought yeah. Brosnan was returning. Um, and w- <laughs> what? Like just the fact that he like lost out on playing James Bond, on being this generation's definitive james bond just because he like he saw a rumor that was like oh he's oh okay oh no never mind <laughs> i guess i'm not getting it and then just called up um barbara broccoli and was like oh yeah yeah no um d- uh, th- thanks for having me but yeah no like, um, I-, I heard about oh, brosnan yeah, all good. Uh, and this is this this next one is one of the more interesting ones for me because i've seen this name thrown around a lot to replace daniel craig apparently in 2005 henry cavill was was the preferred Mm. choice of casino royale director martin campbell but he was considered too young which is interesting because the whole point of casino royale is that he's younger yeah uh yeah i've heard that many a time well i have not because yeah henry cavill's kind of known for missing out on on roles and then if, if he gets james bond it'll be funny because he missed out on uh superman and james bond in the same year and then and then would go on to play both of them later potentially <laughs> that's pretty cool that's a pretty cool piece of trivia um but uh, you know what i've said this before i think uh i don't like it when one actor plays two really iconic characters yeah well and he's had his um his james bond moment and um mission impossible fallout that's true yeah 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 uh sam worthington was also briefly considered but lost to daniel craig uh clive oh, owen God. was also considered nice. wikipedia yeah, yeah. says the reason that clive owen was not uh not selected uh was the producers were unwilling to provide gross profit points i don't know what that means uh i'm sure that will be um you know when you get money on the back end kind of thing rather than getting a salary you get a percentage of the gross right that's clive what owen, i would assume it means clive owen would have been a good james bond potentially yeah like i'm clive, clive owen. owen i'm clive yeah, I can owen imagine him saying it. i'm clive I'm owen, clive owen. <laughs> classic james bond morning to you. <laughs> uh and the last one i've got on this list uh is doug ray scott was considered in 2005 history's unluckiest leading man next to Stuart townsend the guy who could have been aragon but ended up starring in a shitty vampire movie eric stoltz mate eric stoltz could have been um marty mcfly so doug ray scott whose uh most well-known role as being the villain in the only bad mission impossible film (laughs) both on both wolverine and james bond so R.I.P. Doug Ray Scott. <laughs> He's an Aussie as well, isn't he? I think he might be. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and the last, actually, the last one I've got here is Timothy Dalton was offered the role in 1969, 1972, and 1979 before finally succumbing in 1987. <laughs> Doug Ray Scott, Scottish. Sorry, it's there in the name. You piece of shit. <laughs> All right, titles, theme songs. I'm ready. Which one do you want to do first? Titles. 
All right, well, we talk about titles a lot on this podcast, uh, and I didn't change uh, some of the stuff from the Roger Moore episode. So what do you think of the Roger Moore titles, Richard? That's what I've written <laughs> down, because I just copied the notes. No. <laughs> what do you think of the, the, the Timothy Dalton titles? Uh, I, I quite like License to Kill. As, as the first new title, it's a fun one, but it's again, it's like On Her Majesty's Secret Service. That could kind of apply to any of them because it's just a thing he has in all the films. Although I know that it's specific to this film because it's taken away from him. Um, yeah, I was quite conflicted because as from the last couple of weeks, I have categories for Bond titles and License to Kill, I... I kind of I put in what you said the broad titles you could give to literally any of the films in the series where On Her Majesty's Secret Service The Spy Who Loved Me and For Your Eyes Only live but I do get that it is also like in the category of it's just a name of a significant feature in it uh, but you because you could call any of the films License to Kill I put it in that category yeah I mean, maybe it's a Venn it diagram it is definitely specific to this film yeah. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical new user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Now, The yep. Living Daylights. Uh, the Living Daylights is a is a good book title. It, it's one that I don't mm. know if it translates well to film. It's not an exciting thing to see. License to Kill, you see that chucked up on a movie poster and you go... Boy, howdy, it's 1989 and I want to see that. Um, whereas yep. The Living Daylights, especially to be the first, because um, you think about like, okay, Doctor Knows a weird fucking title, um, but like Live and Let Die, as you're like, oh shit, new James Bond movie, new actor, what a cool title. Um, and then Living Daylights, you don't do that. Actually, it's kind of a nice pattern because GoldenEye fits that. Uh, and then Casino Royale's kind of just like, oh yeah, it's, well, it's like, is this that that movie um, with Kevin Spacey where he teaches kids how to play poker that came out around the same time? <laughs> um, Imagine getting that confused. The much more famous James Bond movie with the, the Kevin Spacey poker movie. Yeah. The Jim Sturgis, Robert Lawrence Fishburne, <laughs> Kevin Spacey film. Um, yeah, I don't know. The Living Daylights is just not that exciting and it was like just before it happened to the film i was like oh because of the expression like scare the living daylights out of someone um which is just like yeah. it's 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 something your mum says yeah it, it is a title bomb he does say um when referring to why he didn't shoot the the main girl in the film when she, it looked like she was going to assassinate the kgb agent he says um no i didn't kill her but i scared the living daylights out of her uh but despite being a title bomb i've still placed it in the category ominous phrases which don't really refer to anything specific in the film itself because beyond that line like the living daylights aren't a problem like Whatever that phrase even even means, yeah, like yeah, yeah. the result of someone having the living daylight scared out of them is not like a common theme in the film. There's no uh, MacGuffin that's called the living daylights. So, yeah. yeah. 
it's an yeah. ominous phrase which doesn't refer to anything specific cool nice. well richard then let's talk about theme songs because every james bond movie has a theme song with an opening sequence at the beginning of it uh but the boat the both dalton movies get a little cocky with this uh formula and attempt to, to boast multiple theme songs both of them <laughs> do this and it does does not work and just makes this otherwise very neat idiosyncratic feature of the series just seem kind of messy you know what i mean like it's like ah <laughs> oh, now this one's just a haberdashery of songs so the living daylight's main song uh for the opening sequence is called the living daylight lights by aha who did take on me uh, and that that i really like the living daylights by aha it goes it sounds like hungry like the wolf it goes like the oh, i'm gonna just start singing i was just about to start singing hungry by the wolf it's like because in my mind it's the same thing as um oh, no, i'm thinking don't fear the reaper it's like, come on, baby, don't fear the reaper. It's got that kind of yeah, tonality yeah, yeah, to it. It's yeah, like, right. the, the living daylights don't fear the reaper. Um, I'm going to actually just look it the up and then sing it back to you. The oh. living daylights. Oh. oh, woo. All right, I'm Where listening to it. Just give me a second. Oh, here it is. Yeah, okay, it goes. Okay, it goes. Oh. The living daylights. <laughs> That's it. I got there at the end. <laughs> That's how it sounds. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, I like. I like it. I think it's an interesting song, and it was selected as like a chaser to Duran Duran's "Of You to a Kill." Well, that's the thing. Like, yeah, I, do I the think same it's, thing again. Um, yeah, it's the writings on the wall to "A View to a Kill's Skyfall." It's um, mm. It, it's mm. just oh, that worked last time. Let's do the same thing again. But one is clearly superior although i don't necessarily agree in the case of of skyfall and writings on the wall but i think that everything of the living daylights is trying to be a view to a kill did better and i think duran duran are a better band than aha okay well there's also two other songs in the film there's if there was a man as well as where has everybody gone by chrissy hunday of the pretenders hund hundy um if if there was a man plays over the closing credits and where has everybody gone is heard playing from one of the villains walkman several moments throughout the film (laughs) it's like you hear it playing in the walkman and you go that's a song licensed for this movie you know, that's not just a normal song that he's listening mm. to. Um, and the pretenders were originally going to do the Living Daylights theme song as well. But because they wanted to replicate the success of Duran Duran, they went with Ha Ha. So, License to Kill has License to Kill by Gladys Knight, uh, which is the longest Bond song out of any of mm. them. Um, and is heavily inspired by the Goldfinger theme. Uh, and I am not going to sing it, Richard, because I can't remember it. Can you remember it? It goes... I got a license to kill any no 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 to come for you. Oh, yeah. Oh, it's so 1989. <laughs> this one's fucking That's great. That's such a song, 1989 man. sound, right? <laughs> um, yeah, I love this. I mean, uh, Gladys Knight is, you know, one of the all time great singers, uh, second only to T Pain. Um, and- what the fuck? Is this a reference I don't understand? It is. Comment if you get the reference. Um, What's the reference? I'm commenting. I'm not gonna say. Tell me the reference. Uh, I'm not going to say Fuck it. Fuck you. Um, Fuck you, But yeah, man. I think this, uh, this is a great song. This is another one of those ones that I'd heard before, but seeing in the context of the film and then listening to, uh, uh, much like The Man with the Golden Gun, uh, which also these two songs are not on Spotify. Um, 
yeah, these these like sort of ones that I I rediscovered and yeah, that's a that's a banger. Uh, I don't know if I agree. It's um, it, 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 listening to the actual song. It is too long, but it, the <laughs> chorus is, is fun. Right. Well, as good as Gladys Knight is, apparently, as someone whose name I didn't really recognize, but is apparently the greatest singer next to T-Pain, uh, there was a version of License to Kill by Vic Flick and Eric Clapton, which was turned down uh, inexplicably for being too gritty. But it's, Is it the fucking... same song, or is it a different song called? I think it's the, the same um... song. Wow. But it was too gritty. In your in your famously gritty James Bond film, uh, and also in the in the closing credits, I think is a song called "If You Asked Me To" by Patti LaBelle, uh, which again, like the the extra songs in the Living Daylights, I do not remember. <laughs> so there you go. Where do these sit in your, the pantheon of Bond songs for you? Um, uh, pff, uh I'm sorry. Aha, uh-huh. you're you're. I don't know that you're in the bottom half, but I, like, I find that song kind of forgettable, even though it's fun. And um, License to Kill, I think, um, I would put it up there with, uh, what was my favorite Shirley Bassey theme song? <laughs> uh, I've forgotten it. Diamonds Are Forever. Yeah, Diamonds Are Forever. Um, yeah, I'd, I'd put them and maybe License to Kill just below Diamonds Are Forever. Nice. Well, Richard. We're moving on to the final segment, or second to final, second to last segment of the show, and that is continue the franchise, where we uh, confusingly try and uh, continue a franchise that has been rebooted um, in a very specific way, which prevents it from being continued in any kind of significant um, or normal kind of way. So with that all in mind, what's your continue the franchise? So my... uh continue the franchise so uh have you seen the movie galaxy quest uh, a long time ago so galaxy quest is the story of this um this uh, the cast of this star trek like show who um end up having to defend earth and they and they have to become their characters because of this um whole plot about people thinking that they're actually um the person um well aliens, idea- aliens thinking that yeah, aliens. Uh, yeah, sorry, I should have mentioned the that important plot point. But anyway, this isn't about uh, Galaxy Quest. This is about my continue the franchise. Um, so, as I mentioned before, I don't think that Timothy Dalton is really anybody's Bond. Um, but I would like to do a film where you have some kind of deranged uh, lunatic who's obsessed with spy movies, and for some reason, specifically. Uh, Timothy Dalton's Bond, so it'd have to be someone who is almost fifty. But they would have been. Uh, I'm I'm gonna say they turned eighteen in 1990, so they came of age uh, in with these two films as the as the background to that. Um, so I don't know. Pick a 48 year old actor, David Tennant. Um, he's the bad guy in it, and he uh, wants to have a real spy adventure. And with the only spy he knows, and that's Timothy Dalton. Um, so he like sets up this elaborate plan to force Timothy Dalton to to battle him in a game of espionage. Um, and the whole time, Timothy Dalton's like, I'm 
I'm Timothy Dalton. I'd like, and no one ever asks me to sign Bond things. I'm <laughs> I'm from Hot Fuzz and Looney Tunes back in action. Like, <laughs> what are, what are you doing? And then um, and so he he gets forced. Uh, the actor Timothy Dalton gets forced into this game of espionage by a fanboy, and the whole time it's a commentary on like. I've forgotten how to do this because I never, I've forgotten how to pretend to do this because I never get asked about Bond because who cares that I was Bond? <laughs> That's great, man. What's it, does it have a title? Uh, it's called Who Cares That I Was Bond. <laughs> I think even even not to bring back up old content, uh, but Nobody's Bond would be a cool title. Yeah, actually Nobody's movie. Bond, yeah. Because that can be his title bomb. I was Nobody's Bond. Is that a good Timothy Dalton impression? Yeah, yeah. yeah. I was no, I was I, no nobody's. No, I was nobody's Bond. That's a, that was a good Timothy Dalton. Come on, come on. Uh, it sounded like it sounded Irish. What? Where is he from? What is his? <laughs> where accent? is he? Is it like north? It's like northern uh, English, he's, maybe. Uh, Welsh, I think. Oh shit! Although to be fair, if you read Timothy Dalton's Wikipedia page, it says he is best known for portraying James Bond. Yeah, but he's fucking not. He's not known for anything. <laughs> he's Simon Skinner. <laughs> Simon he runs to the, the local office, Mr. Skinner. Although, to, okay. to be fair, okay, sorry, everything I've said on this episode about, like, <laughs> it's I, I, everything's this way because of one person, uh, because of, um, because I feel this way, because he's in Hot Fuzz, one movie that came out in prime movie viewing time for me. Um, but you know, I'm sure if that fucking happened to you with the living daylights or license to kill, you're listening to this thinking, what a fucking douchebag. It's okay, Richard. Don't worry about it. You're fine. Thank you. All right. Shall I do my one now? Yeah. Okay, so my continue the franchise. I was thinking about the idea of a dark, gritty Bond and how that, with the living daylights, that's kind of the direction they wanted to take it post A View to a Kill. And I was like, well, what if they tried to take it in another direction, um, like the opposite direction? And that sent me off on this um, crash course into this idea, which is called James Bond Babies. Uh, and... Similar to the Muppet Babies, or my version of the Muppet Babies, which was Baby Looney Tunes, this this is an animated series, and it's set in a a preschool where all the baby versions of the James Bonds hang out, um, and they go on little adventures and be little two year old misogynists, uh, and it's it's kind of cute. What do you think? Is it it's That's animated? Idea. Yeah. Nice. And get everyone to return if, for their voices. <laughs> and Roger Moore can be like he's he's hasn't learned to speak yet because we can't get him to return for it. Yeah, yeah. Very. Cool. All right. Well, that was a shit one, but hey, I can't always come up with a great <laughs> one. Uh, so the last segment of the show is is rank that franchise. We're going to rank the Living Daylights. We're going to rank the Living Daylights out of this franchise. <laughs> ha! Very nice. Please laugh. You're not. You, uh, I can't. Uh, you, we've turned the video off because the internet wasn't working, and all I hear is this <laughs> deathly silence after I say things. <laughs> okay, so we rank. I feel like this is should be ranked below, but pretty close to "Live and Let Die," right? Would you agree? Sorry, the sure, the, yeah. the more era. Yeah. Okay. So "Live and Let Die" is between Twilight and the Santa Claus. 
Yeah, I don't know. Just chuck it next to it. I don't care where. I I, I actually kind of think you're right. I think it is right. It's a better. It's better than the Santa Claus, but it's not. It just doesn't add up to what the more era did so it's now yeah. ranked at number 44 it is the 44th best franchise we've seen on this podcast and you can check out this list on our letterboxd which you'll find a link to in the show notes along with links to all the other places you can contact cold popsha or contact us you can contact us if you want or find us and subscribe and like to us on facebook and youtube and instagram and twitter and uh acast and apple podcasts uh and you can also email us at pop pop media at gmail.com you can join our discord uh all sorts of things you can join our patreon um richard do you have any final thoughts on timothy dalton's bond um uh he is very handsome okay sick well thank you for listening everybody (laughs) um and we'll see you uh next week we're doing another patreon suggested idea so i'm sure it'll be as wacky as as last week's and then the week after that we're going to be doing the pierce bros the four pierce brosnan films um because those are what's next in the series cool cool words aj Mm -hmm. i have the best words uh, so yeah thank you very much for listening everybody please leave a comment leave a like and let us know which of the two Timothy Dalton movies is your favourite alright bye All right, stay tuned for the post the post credit scene after this musical outro thank you yeah. see you bye everybody bye see you bye I, I apologise this this ending is rather abrupt but so was uh, Timothy Dalton's time as James Bond <laughs>
Matthew Voss or Vos, I'm not sure how to pronounce his name. He says, hi chaps. I think my question would be, which film do you wish had sequels or had just a sequel or sequels so that you could cover it as a franchise? Um, That's a good question. And this reminds me, Richard, do you remember back in season one? We were wet behind the ears. We're just starting the podcast. And after about 10 franchises or so, we were toying with the idea of changing the podcast just for the sake of variety to being about covering films that didn't have a sequel Mm. and pitching sequels to it. We very briefly considered pivoting to that (laughs) just to have a different show going. Yeah. Um, Which there's more than one podcast already existing out there that does that. Yeah, um, however, we're of course the only um, movie-related podcast. Yeah, <laughs> I'm glad we didn't because it ended up being that learning about film franchises franchises was much more interesting. But the the movie that I did actually want to start the episode with, uh, the, that new series with, was Who Framed Roger Rabbit, which never mm. got any real kind of sequel. Um, and I would have loved a Who Framed Roger Rabbit sequel. There's been talk of one happening for years. There was a prequel being planned, yeah. um, which was at one point called Who Discovered Roger Rabbit and would have take place, taken place in the golden age of cartoons. I thought that was a much better idea to the name it got changed to, which was like Toon Platoon, Roger Rabbit 2 or something like yeah. that. Yeah. <laughs> um, which I think was shit, but I think Who Discovered Roger Rabbit would have been a cool prequel. Uh, do you have any movies you wish had sequels so that that we could cover as film franchises? Um, well, the one that always pops up in like uh, Reddit discussions of um, you know what film deserves a sequel, it's always District Nine. Um, but then that, that's not like I'm not interested to see where that goes as a franchise. I just want the conclusion yeah. of that story. Um, whereas yeah. there are movies like. Um, something like Walk Hard, one of my favourite movies, um, that I would love to see, like, if you franchise that, what do you do with it? And so it's like, not only would it be a great chance to talk about that film, even though we have on our Patreon, I believe, um, mm-hmm. yeah. but to uh, just to see how you make a franchise out of that, like, is it just other amazing parodies of, like, these specific genres of film? Um, and that all you know, feature something like like this Dewey, um, all of a sudden, you know, we, we see, like, when he's jailed in his, uh, in some point in his career, um, and it becomes, we see a parody of, like, crime drama movies, you know? Right. Um, but done yeah, the same yeah. style. Yeah, nice. Well, I think, yeah, I think that that's a good answer. I think, I'm trying to think of any others, but in the interest of um, not dragging this... <laughs> Yeah. particular post-credits scene out too much longer there's also oh, sorry um, the other one would be um which which we talked about when we talked about pivoting the podcast is dude was my car because then you get seriously dude was my car which was the sequel title they had and then i would just love to see where they could be on that with the titling scheme yeah <laughs> seriously dude where's my car and then dude i'm not playing yeah where is my car yeah yeah i, see, I want to see more sequels to this purely because of the title yeah imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt now imagine them getting even softer over time 
That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.